Many of you might remember uh, my son's Josh. Josh, you and me, almost the same size. <laughs> I'm not sure if he's impressed no, or not. No, he's just like, please stop talking yeah. to me, bold I think, lady. I mean, I, I've dealt with some cynical crowds, given what I've done for a living. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Are You Sitting Uncomfortably with me, Gemma Greaves. This is the podcast that features courageous storytellers who are comfortable with getting uncomfortable. And I am beyond excited because today we get to do this in front of a live audience at the London Courthouse Hotel. And in my prickly chair is the one and only Gail Porter. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's amazing to have you. Well, when I say that, <laughs> are you sitting uncomfortably? Yeah, thanks. Yeah. No, it's going to be fun. <laughs> is it? Is it? <laughs> to be uncomfortable. Yeah, I know, exactly. Thing. Exactly. <laughs> so where do I start? Simply put, Gail is an absolute trailblazer. She's a proud Scot, TV presenter, writer, broadcaster, and now stand-up comedian, joining us fresh from the Edinburgh Fringe. She is perhaps best known for shows such as Fully Booked and Top of the Pops, not forgetting the infamous nude projection on the Houses of Parliament. And I think we'll get on to that later. <laughs> Today, Gail is a role model to many. From her documentary, Being Gail Porter, where she shared her mental health journey. And did I mention she won a BAFTA for? To being an advocate for many charities and good causes. It's fair to say she is a loved icon by many, including me. And also something you may not know, she has two second Dan belts in karate and kickboxing. Black belt, she needs to get the black bit in. Second Dan black belt. That's quite important. She has two second Dan black belts. Yeah, not just the white belt. Tiny ninja. <laughs> and most importantly, mum to honey, her beautiful daughter. She has the biggest heart. It's Gail Porter, everybody. Blame that was an <laughs> that was an introduction and a half. Where'd you go from there? <laughs> well, I can tell you all the really terrible stuff that I did, <laughs> just to mix it up a bit. <laughs> that comes later. Oh, thanks. <laughs> so, Gail, are you sitting uncomfortably? Um, yes, I am. Thank you very much. Thanks for asking me. <laughs> Yeah, I, I kind of see things, it's almost comfortable, but um, the seat's a little bit too high, but also I'm worried now. <laughs> I'm worried now, and I think that your son is sitting in the audience is judging me. <laughs> Gail, you've overcome so much, and there's a real distinctive character to you, which is your uniqueness, which I think actually makes you absolutely brilliant. What do we need to know from your past to share about the person sitting in front of us today? I'm Scottish. <laughs> I am Scottish and um, I think when things go badly, 
you know, my I was kind of brought up to you just keep going. You just don't stop. You're stoic and you just get on with it and you don't complain. And yeah, you just take every day as it comes. I know it sounds probably how everybody's been brought up, but Scottish people can be a little bit tougher, I think. I know your dad's Scottish, so he might be able to tell you these things. And I'm sure you've grown up hearing these things, but it's kind of like, don't ever give up. And if the worst happens, then you can only make it better. Can't get any worse. So, and the worst did happen to me. And then I just didn't give up. You just keep going, even though you think, oh my gosh, <laughs> I'm homeless or I'm in a really bad position. But yeah, we'll get to that in the sad bit. <laughs> Let, let's stick with the happy bit. <laughs> so you grew up in Edinburgh. Yes. You went to Portobello. Yeah, I went to Portobello High School. Yes, I did indeed. And I think there was about 1,200 pupils there. So that's another reason to be extremely stoic because nobody actually knew anyone. They were like, I was in your class in 1982. And you're going, who are you? She went, I don't know really. Who are you? I said, I don't know. Because we were, there were so there were so many of us. We just didn't know who was in whose classes or anything. We just knew that if, you know, we survived until six year, that we were either not pregnant or <laughs> we, we hadn't been expelled and were in jail. So it was all good. No, I'm only joking. Some, some of the, I mean, it's a great, <laughs> it's a great school. Don't sue me. It's fine. <laughs> And school, were you hardworking? Yeah, at school, my nickname was Snobby Porter. <laughs> so, yeah, because I'd put my hand up before, you know, the teacher would ask you a question and I'd put my hand up before she'd even finished. And they were like, she would say, oh, I haven't even finished the question, Gail. And I was like, oh, but I'm probably going to know it anyway. <laughs> because I just wanted to impress mum and dad all the time. And actually, I did know it, to be honest. So I was Snobby Porter, yeah. <laughs> You're one of those. <laughs> one of those, I'm really sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and then got my pigtails pulled, which is quite ironic because that can't happen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you left school. Did you always know you wanted to be in TV? No. I, well, I wanted to be Princess Leia, but obviously <laughs> that job had been taken. So like Star Wars was just the best film that was ever made. Well, I was working behind the scenes a yeah. lot in mm. TV. So I was a runner. So for anyone that doesn't know what a runner is, it's basically you do make teas, you make coffees gas repairs, <laughs> uh, yeah, house sitting, babysitting, everything for free, everything for free, but you work with somebody that's working within the television industry and then you try and get in and do something worthwhile. And Don't get me wrong, gas and electricity is great. Uh, I just wasn't very good at it. Babysitting's wonderful. I was good at that. But um, it was quite nice to understand what was working in the actual TV industry that I wanted to work in. But, you know, when you're a runner, you're just, <laughs> Gail will do it. <laughs> yeah, that was my thing. Gail will do it, yeah. From there, how did you get your first big break? What happened? Well, I worked on Taggart for a wee while. Oh, yeah. No, only two times, I think. Anyone watch Taggart? Yeah. Oh, wasn't it great? Yeah. Amazing. There's been a murder. <laughs> there, there's been a murder. <laughs> um, but there was a time when I was being a runner on Taggart and um, I had to make sandwiches for all the old age pensioners, the extras, who were getting paid £200 a day. Yeah, just to like sit and go, oh no, there's been a murder, oh. <laughs> no way, oh. And then I go, <laughs> and then I go at lunchtime and I say, I've got sandwiches for everybody. I used to call them the oodles. Yeah. The oodles of old age pensioners. I was going, hello, oodles. It's me, Gail. I'm not getting paid. Um, so <laughs> and we've got sandwiches and they go, uh, well, what kind have you got today, Gail? And I was going, um, well, we've got cheese or we've got ham. And they went, oh, we've got better on take the high road. And I was like, 
I can't. I can't. I, uh, I don't work on Take the High Road. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so um, I didn't. I didn't last very long on that. That. <laughs> but I'm sure they were really nice, but they were just picking on me because I didn't do the right sandwiches. And they, and they were paid £200 a day. £200 a day just to turn up to be oodles. I think I might be a noodle. Yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> so, when were you last uncomfortable? Pretty much now. <laughs> uncomfortable, well, the Edinburgh Fringe obviously was a very uncomfortable time, but it was really uplifting and amazing because I was doing something that for someone, you know, I suffer from anxiety, but yeah, I could be fine one day and, and not great the other. And to think of doing the Edinburgh Fringe was, once I decided to do it, I thought this is a great idea. And then when it started to become reality, I thought this is probably the worst idea I've ever had in my entire <laughs> life. Standing up in front of however many people, I think it's between 150 and 200 people a yeah. night, who are going to judge you on, are you going to make me laugh? Are you going to make me this? Are you going to... And so, yeah, that was very uncomfortable. Yeah. And you were doing that every single night for 28 days. Yeah. And I got sectioned for that long. Yeah. Yeah, and no one laughed there, did you? <laughs> we're, we're, going to, we're going to come on to that later. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I saw you and it was maybe day 22. And yeah. it's an amazing show. Everyone was up dancing at the end. It was brilliant. Lots of laughter, lots of support for you. But I could see when we met afterwards, it was tough to do that for that long. Yeah, I think I sort of over pushed myself a wee yeah. bit. I didn't realise how tricky it was going to be because I did get offered a couple of days off. And I thought, no, I can do this. It's only an hour a night. But then, of course, it's not just an hour a night. You've got to prepare yourself and then interviews before that. And then you have to go to Boots and buy Buscapan because you've got stomach cramps. <laughs> and you're like, oh, gosh. So, yeah, it was kind of tricky. But... When I got halfway through, I thought, this is great-ish. And then you have a day off, and then everything feels like it's gone backwards a little bit. I kind of didn't like the day off because it just... Yeah, rhythm. I wasn't... Yeah, the rhythm wasn't there. And then um, by day 28, and it was all finished, I suddenly felt really lost, thinking, oh, it's... Yeah, I am going to miss this terribly. And also Edinburgh being my hometown, it was nice to see everybody every day. Not well, all, every day, but <laughs> I do love everyone, but not every day. But um, but yeah, it was it was very intense, but it was very uncomfortable as well. And I got to that stage where, like, I know that you were uncomfortable about doing this today, and you were anxious, yeah. and and, um, and things like, are there people in the audience? Are there people outside? Are there people? Oh my gosh! And you just want to make sure that everyone's happy all the time, yeah. and that are you doing the right thing? And is this a great idea? Because you care. Yeah. And you don't want to let anyone down. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. when I was really, I was really sick for two days, and I thought, oh my gosh, you can't have a day off. That's you can't do that. But I know that people do take days off, obviously, but you don't want to. So you did that for a month. So yeah. you weren't obviously earning separately, like back here. No. <laughs> was it lucrative? Well, I'm now, yeah, I'm going on tour. So then, Amazing. Yeah, so that's going to be fun. So um, I am actually getting paid, <laughs> which is, that's really, yeah, very, very fun getting paid. No, don't get me wrong. <laughs> are you, are you, are you clapping because I'm going on tour or because I'm getting paid? <laughs> I'm a little bit confused. <laughs> bit both. <laughs> bit both. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, so that's good. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to sort of like, 
a bit of a change in direction and do something that actually makes me happy and it still makes me scared. That kind of imposter syndrome thing. Yeah. Because I don't really do many... I mean, I love doing my charity. Obviously, that doesn't pay, but I love it more than anything. But it's quite nice to do something that makes you happy as well. Like, you know, work-wise, as opposed to... Like, helping is amazing and I love it, love it, love it. But actually to do a job job and then go and think, oh, I did something and some people liked it. Yeah, that's brilliant. Does that make sense? Does it make sense? Yeah. But the actual fringe 28 days, what I've heard from quite a lot of comedians, including yourself, is actually... Am I a comedian now? I, I, she is. <laughs> she is. Yeah, I'll take that. <laughs> she is. It's not as lucrative. If you don't get that show afterwards, that tour, it's not as lucrative as one would think. No, and also you have to get yourself somewhere to stay. Yeah. So I think I was telling you before, mm. I know... I'm not going to name people, but there was a lot of people that I know that put shows on and they were paying, I mean, thousands. I, I looked at a one-bedroom place and it was just literally one bedroom, one room, didn't have a window in it and it was a bed and they said, we'll do your deal, seven and a half grand for 28 days. And so a lot of comedians and a lot of performers are playing that unless they want to go and stay with people outside of Edinburgh or stay in, um, you know, um, like... Uh, university rooms oh, and stuff yeah. so they're sharing with people that they don't know and personally I'm not doing that god I got married once that was a nightmare <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not staying in a room with anybody I've got a cat thank you that's enough <laughs> so, but yeah so luckily for me <laughs> sorry sorry to my ex-husband not really but, um, <laughs> but luckily two of my friends both said one was away for the first two weeks and one was away for the second two weeks. So I was super lucky. So I got two houses to look after. But didn't one not have a toaster? Oh, one didn't have a toaster. Yeah, yeah that was yeah. a bit tough. Because I can't cook. I set fire to things. Not not to cook them. I mean, that sounds really <laughs> weird. But I actually just set fire to things. Like, even a fish finger. I could set fire to that. You do make fish fingers with fire underneath it, don't you? No. <laughs> no, I can't cook. And also when you get to, when I'm tired, I don't know, and I just like a bit of Marmite and toast. Simple. But she didn't have a toaster. Yeah. Maybe she did, but it was a really nice house and I didn't want to touch anything. <laughs> and I was really scared. But then the second house was, um, I had a toaster. <laughs> so, so showbiz, isn't it? <laughs> Woo! Had a toaster for two weeks, yeah. So tell us what your show, Hung, Drawn and Ported, was about. Well, well, it was pretty much about growing up in Edinburgh, growing up in Scotland, getting picked on, but then doing okay for yourself. It's just about life, something that every single person in this room could probably, not all of it, I mean, who's been sectioned? See, okay, that's just me. But I mean, <laughs> apart from that, there's a lot of stuff we can relate to. <laughs> so yeah, it sort of goes through childhood, just growing up, and then, you know, what happens at school? Then obviously, you know, all of us, you know, what it's like to work with dead people. No, you do. Yes. Woo. It's not just me this time. So, yes, there's a lot about, I did a program called Dead Famous where I worked in America looking for dead people. And so there's quite a bit about that. And then there's a, a lot about mental, not too much about mental health because you don't want to make people too sad, but hopefully a few poignant messages about mental health and looking after each other. And um, a bit of story about my dad when he passed away the week before lockdown in Spain. I know. What was he thinking of? But anyway, he's fine. He's in the sea. And you took him back. Oh, you yeah. Do? I didn't just like, like say, oh, chuck him. No, I actually, went, I went and got him and brought him back. Um, well, I got him cremated. I didn't bring him. Home. But yeah, brought him back. And, <laughs> and then, yeah. 
So there's a lot about that. And then there's a bit of dancing at the end. So you've mentioned a couple of times being sectioned. Yeah. And I know also you talked about that in your show. You know, you actually asked the audience, have you been sectioned? <laughs> yeah. Started going, anyone? No, but there, anyone? Was one, there, was one, there was one show though, Gemma, when I said, has anyone been sectioned? And nobody said anything. And then this one woman put her hand up and I was like, oh, madam. She went, aye, seven times. And I was like, oh. Oh, that took me by surprise. She went, aye, I've got a show on as well. And she did. She had a show called Sections. I went, oh, she wins. I'm out. Yeah, I'm out here. So you've mentioned it and I've, I've read and listened to a lot about yeah. you talking about this because I mean tell us about it because you you asked someone for help didn't you uh yeah so what happened was I'd not been well for a while and I'd lost my hair don't know if anyone's noticed I've got alopecia so it's all fine so no one panic but yeah so I'd asked for help about you know my work wasn't coming in because I didn't look right and um I wasn't feeling great about myself and of course bills are coming in and I wasn't affording the bills and eventually ended up homeless and then I was on Hampstead Heath and yeah I just phoned for some help and then an ex of mine phoned the police to say that they were worried that I might hurt myself and so the police just took me and put me in a van and took me to hospital and they just left me for I don't know 14-15 hours and then eventually a doctor came to see me who I'd never met before and he said oh I'd need I need your mum and dad to sign this document because we need to put you in section because we don't know where to put you. And um, so I said, well, my mum's dead and my dad lives in Spain. So they got two doctors who I've never met before to sign the forms and then look me up. And they said, you're going to be sectioned for 28 days. And so <laughs> I was a bit like, wow, okay. Well, not really, but, you know, I had a roof over my head, but I think I'd rather have gone to jail. Yeah. Because it would have been, you get telly and stuff, don't you? Do you? Don't know. Anyone been to jail? No. <laughs> not Sectioning. sure anyone's going to admit it. If yeah. They have. <laughs> <laughs> they'll whip you in the bar afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, so um, yeah, they put me into this place where um, I was just sort of, oh yeah, I was just told to wear pajamas, don't do this, don't do that, no phones, and then. There was no doctors. There was nothing. It was just security, and it was a whole bunch of random people. There was two Jesuses. So is that Jesai? I said that. I don't know. Never had a plural of Jesus before, so I was not very sure. So there was like one guy in a towel and another guy in a blanket going, "No, I'm Jesus. No, I'm Jesus." I was like, "Oh." But actually, when you're sectioned, it's quite interesting. It gives you something to do. Just gives you something to watch. You're just like, "Yeah, that'll do." And then after 15 days, the doctors turned up. And they all had their little clipboards and never met any of them. And they said, oh, we're really sorry. Um, you can go now. We shouldn't have had you here. By this point, I was on nine different medications a day. And they just said, we're so sorry. And then that was it. Never heard from anybody after that. No doctors, no nothing. The place has been shut down. But So for those 15 days, it was just security to keep you it in? It was me, two G's, the G's eye. Uh, <laughs> the lady that spoke to God at 3 a.m. down the toilet. Uh, the lady with the bongo drums and the man that would constantly turn up naked and just go oh morning everybody and we go I'm not going to say his real name obviously but I go Brian where are your clothes he went oh I knew I forgot something every day you're just like oh I mean it was quite interesting especially when you like phone up Pizza Express yes so what happened was you're not allowed telephones and so there was one day that one of the security guys had left the little security booth open so I said to all my lovely inmates and I was like, right, guys, everyone put your pyjamas on back to front. 
And they're going, they didn't even answer, ask me why. No one cares. They're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and then I got to the phone and I made a phone call. And then this guy came and he buzzed the buzzer because the security man wasn't there. And it was a Pizza Express man. <laughs> so I had ordered 15 pizzas. And then he comes up and I said to everyone, right, just start doing this. So yeah. that's swaying back and forth? Yeah, of course. <laughs> I wasn't being rude because I do love One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and it's a great film. So I thought if we all just do that and then the pizza man just left everything and I said, someone will get back to you to pay you. And then he just, so we got, we got 15 free pizzas. <laughs> so even when you've sectioned, you turned it into a positive. Oh, you have to. What else are you going to do really? It was just like, yeah. Well, I think I got into trouble, but... But I do, I do want to explore a little bit, because it sounds like there was no medical support. They just gave no. you drugs. Yeah. And it was security to keep you in. Yeah. And they didn't come and see you for, like, 15 days. Yeah, 15 they... days. And that was when I got out on the 15th day. Or 14th. I can't remember which day. It's not sort of like the stuff you put in your diary going, oh, of course, we weren't allowed to have a diary anyway. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's good for stand-up, though. But, yeah. <laughs> no, but it's awful for the people that, you know, I, I've kept in touch with a few people that were sectioned with me and they've gone on to do different things and back on their feet again. But for people that were really suffering, I think it's awful. And I've tried for years and I keep trying. I even went to government to talk about how people that are, are getting sectioned, they should be treated better. They should yeah. not just be put into an institution with a whole bunch of people that have got whole different symptoms. That's basically just taking you off the street. Yeah. You're taking you off the street and putting you somewhere else so they don't have to worry about you because you're just locked up, which is not kind or fair. And giving you medicine that maybe you wouldn't have had before no. to make you actually worse when yeah. you come out. It was mostly stuff to sedate you and to make yeah. you sleep so you didn't cause anybody any problems. But nobody really did. But then um, they did do this one thing because I complained once when somebody came in and I said, you know what, it'd be really nice if we got some maybe artwork to do or something to keep us positive. And uh, yeah, and so they sent in this lady and she took us downstairs. She said, all right, we've got T-shirts here and we're all going to do batik. Does anyone know what batik is? We all know, yeah? yeah. Hot wax. <laughs> You got, you got, you're in a psychiatric unit with their self-harmers. I was like, who thought of, just give us crayons. I know maybe some people eat the crayons, it's fine. But hot wax with a bunch of people that are really struggling to look after themselves or hurt themselves or don't like themselves is really not the best idea. So they're like that, woohoo, boutique. So yeah, that didn't, well, that didn't go down well. So a few years after that, you found yourself in the Big Brother house. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. But um, so when I was homeless and everything, I was staying in different people's houses or I was staying on Hampstead Heath or whatever. I wasn't in Hampstead Heath for long, like one night on a bench and then just sort of wandering around. But um, yeah, so Big Brother contacted a friend of mine and said, oh, would Gail be interested in doing it? And by this point, I've got nothing at all. And um, so, of course, you're going to say yes, even though you think, oh, it's not the best program, is it? Um, and I thought they're never going to want me. And then they did choose me. And I think they sort of pick on people that are, <laughs> yeah, slightly vulnerable, off the wall. So they chose me and I thought, well, it's fine. I'll get out in week one. No, <laughs> they kept me in. And I kept going to the diary room and pressing the buzzer. And I was like, Big Brother, I'm begging you. just Because if you walk out of Big Brother, you don't get paid. So you're not allowed to just say, I've had enough. 
yeah, I was there for three weeks and it was just, you're just with a whole bunch of people that are arguing all the time and screaming at each other. And the, yeah, the blinds are going down whenever they want. So you don't know if it's nighttime or daytime. And, but you just think, okay, you know, I'm going to have enough money to get rent, to get a roof over my head. So it's all going to be worth it. And um, I used to make tea a lot when I used to get anxious. So when everyone's screaming at each other, I'd go, I clean. I cleaned all the time. I was just obsessed with cleaning because everyone was so dirty. You know, they wouldn't like make their beds, just normal stuff. Well, I don't know what normal is really, to be honest. But, and then, so I'd make tea if people were um, making me anxious. And I don't know if anyone's heard of Fat Man's Scoop. Yeah. Yeah. Put my hands up. Put your hands up. That's his song. <laughs> I think that's it. And he's a DJ or something. Uh, anyway, he was in the house. And every time I go, who would like a cup of tea? And he's like, man, Gil Porter's putting the kettle on. Some shit's going down. <laughs> <laughs> it's like we we're in some sort of action movie, but we weren't. We we're just stuck in a, sorry for swearing mom and dad. Um, but it was just, yeah, it was just, that was the most exciting thing you could do is clean and then wait for Emma Willis, who, was, who would count yeah. you out, who'd tell you who was going to leave. So it was the most exciting day, and you get ready. And uh, Janice Dickinson was in there with me. <laughs> no, she was. Yeah, she, she. Yeah, and she wanted to put makeup. She wanted to put makeup on me and and put wigs on me and stuff like a doll. Uh, but it was fine. I had nothing else to do, to be honest. But uh, and there, she was always fighting with someone, and security be coming in. And so, yeah, when Emma Willis would come on, a, I think it was a Friday night or whenever eviction was, you get really excited. And think, oh, please be me, please be me. <laughs> <laughs> and every week, it wasn't if it wasn't me or it wasn't somebody else. They're all going, yes, and I'm going, no, no, not another week. And then eventually, when I got voted out, I've never been. I ran for the stairs, and everyone's going, Gail, do you want a hug? I was like, oh yeah, that, oh, yeah, lovely, 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 lovely. <laughs> bye, bye, see you. And then Emma did the interview with me afterwards. She went, how was that, Gail? And I went, I've been sectioned, and that was more fun. <laughs> uh-uh. No. And everyone's going, oh, we're all going to exchange numbers. I was like, no. <laughs> oh, I, need, I need to just get my head around this, and then I managed to get enough money to rent a flat. So that was the brilliant thing that came out of it. Yes, it's the best thing ever. Because so, you were homeless before you went yeah. in there, weren't you? So it was on a, yeah. It was... Um, I was staying in my friend's spare room that night when she got the phone call. So, yeah. And you're there you go. still in that flat now? Still in that flat, and I love it to bits. I love that. I love that. So, yeah. So, was there any care from the Big Brother team when you felt vulnerable? There was one psychiatrist, but he had to look after everybody. Mm. And if you can imagine, Big Brother... There's a lot of people needing a lot of attention. <laughs> and also, I think the team don't want to give attention all the time because if they did, I guess everyone's going to be pressing the buzzer all night long going, I need to speak to the psychiatrist or a uh, psychologist. Psychiatrist, psychologist. I don't know which one it was, I'm sorry. Um, but um, so they'd only allow him to be on call for emergencies, really. So, yeah, so I don't really know what an emergency is. I was is. about to ask yeah, that, what's an emergency? Because there was times that I was just in bed and just wanted to cry. And I thought, well, I've put myself in here. You think you know what you've signed up for, but I guess you watch it on the telly box for an hour and we're doing it for 24 hours. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, if, the, if you were in really dire straits, 
they would get someone to come and talk to you, but you'd have to be really bad. Looking back, past a friend, big brother, being sectioned. I'm, I'm interested, can you pinpoint a time in your career when you felt the most uncomfortable? I think probably when my naked image was put onto a massive building in 1999 and um, I wasn't told about it. I mean, obviously, I knew there'd been a photograph taken, was told it was, you know, going into a magazine, didn't get paid for it again. And then um, I wake up one morning and I see on the BBC News, there's a huge image of my body on the Houses of Parliament. And then my phone's ringing and my mum's just going, what have you done now? And I was like, oh, oh, yeah, I don't know. Um, so I didn't know anything about it. So you didn't give any permission for that at no all? No permission, no. I didn't know, they didn't tell me it was going to happen. They didn't tell me that they were going to, they said, they weren't They weren't really sure if what they were going to do with the picture. They knew it was going to be in the magazine and then it was, you know, front of the magazine and I think they sort of said it could be, could not be, we're not paying you, we don't have any money, but the whole Big Ben thing was their PR stunt. So they'd um, hired in a company called, I've got to say this really slowly, Cunning stunts. <laughs> so they hired them in and they paid them a lot of money to, I think they phoned up all the press at one minute to mid. I only find all this out afterwards, obviously, from people that you bump into that go, oh, I was involved in that. Oh, I was involved in that. We made a fortune. You're going, oh, right, I'm so happy for you. Um, so at one minute to midnight, they phoned in all the press and then they projected it at midnight for one minute and then they all just dashed off and then... I saw it on the news the next day, along with my mum and my grandpa. But grandpa was great. Horatio Walter Stanley's like, well, that's a bit different, but I've bought five copies. There's one for me, one for Uncle Alf. I was like, ah, ah, ah. Oh, I've seen your arse before, Gail, it's fine. I was like, oh, but obviously when I was a baby. <laughs> that's slightly odd. Yeah, I saw you when you were born, it's no problem. I was like, oh God, grandpa. <laughs> But when you went into that shoot, you didn't intend to go new, did you? Well, no, we kind of like, <laughs> back in the day in the 90s, we mm. were treated a wee bit differently. So you go in and you'd be given a dress or the dress tend to didn't fit, it'd be too big or something. Then they'd say, oh, I've got a bikini. Then you'd have a few glasses of champagne. I've only had two, so I'm not getting naked. And you don't <laughs> want to see that because I'm 52. No one wants to see that. But... Um, yeah, so then they were just sort of, you know, going, oh, we'll just try this, we'll just try this, we'll just do, you know, your backside, it's not offensive. And then you just, I didn't think, I didn't think anything like that. They're going, oh, it'll be fine. Yeah, it was, it was my fault as well, obviously. I should have been a bit more savvy, but, you know, I was 25 and I thought, yeah, what could possibly go wrong? Yeah. Why would you think anyone would do that? I mean, that's essentially illegal. Well, not really back in those days, because once you go, I mean, we never signed any contracts. Well, I didn't. Um, you just turn up, do a photo shoot, think, you know, it's a bit of fun. It's a bit of a laugh. It's something to leave a bit of a legacy. But I didn't realize that it was going to be that big a legacy. <laughs> <laughs> or is it a legacy or is it something even worse? I don't know. But it's done now. It is one of the things when you say, Gail Porter, people say, oh, I remember. I know, we, <laughs> we you just said, uh, best known for fully booked. I was going, come on, Gemma. <laughs> <laughs> come on, Gemma. Top of the pop. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> Top of the Pops with lots of stars, Victoria Beckham. I'm oh, yeah, about that in your, in your show. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't mean to be mean. She did a really bad dance and it was just really weird. <laughs> but lots of people did bad dances. I mean, I remember lots of Scottish bands falling off the, off the stage. We had to redo it because we're twatted. And it was just sad. <laughs> we just had to redo it. And it was just fun. But, you know, I think I, I mentioned the Victoria Beckham thing. She just kind of like froze on stage and it was just a bit awkward because I wasn't sure what to do. So, <laughs> <laughs> and um, so it's just very weird to when to get off and, and do I stay or is she staying are we all staying not entirely sure but yeah you know what press are like they pick up on it and make it some sort of, oh it's not really a big story is it <laughs> wasn't it with Dame Bowers as well yeah yeah because they were out <laughs> of their minds <laughs> <laughs> legendary track brilliant brilliant but how did that time impact your personal life being projected on the Houses of Parliament your family seeing it I think at the time it was it was overwhelming obviously mm. because I was worried that I'd upset mum and dad obviously grandpa was having a great time don't know what he was doing <laughs> he was just like hey that's my girl and, like, oh. um, and then my brother was a bit embarrassed because he was a teenager and he's like oh my god I've got teenage friends and then um it was a very weird time in the 90s for TV and stuff and stalkers and people finding out where you live. And yeah. so that was a little bit scary, to be honest, when um, you think, gosh, half half the countries or maybe more has seen you, your seen bum. your bum. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I pretty much seen your bum. And the funniest thing was you could see like half my boob at this one and they erased my nipple because said, my nipple could be offensive to people I was like it's what, how many feet tall of my arse and you're worried about a nipple I think I, th I don't think anyone's going to care about that to be honest like they've got a massive bottom up there which actually it's like completely it was completely like airbrushed and everything obviously I don't look like that I didn't even recognise it. And I was like, who's that? Oh, that looks nice. That's not me. <laughs> so did they also used to airbrush the shoots as oh, well? everything. Without yeah. you knowing? Everything. Yeah, we didn't know. I, I think I told you there was a magazine that my mum actually, me and my mum walked past it in a shop and um, she just saw my name. She's looking at it. She's like, who's that? It says your name on it. And I was like, no, I don't remember that. I didn't even recognise it. They airbrushed it so much. It was just weird. But, you know, they sold the magazines. It feels like they clearly took advantage there. Did that make you approach creative projects differently there on after? I think anything to do with magazines, I got a little bit, um, yeah. I was very, no, nah, not a little bit, very nervous about just because you don't know who to trust. And, and it was quite male orientated in those days and you just go along with it. And when you're young, I mean, hopefully it's changed quite a bit these days. But um, yeah, it, it did make me slightly nervous for a, a while, but... I'm a bit more, I'm too old to even care. I just think, you know, if something comes up that scares me or I think someone's taking advantage, then you just say no. Yeah. Whereas when you're 25 and you're thinking, oh, is this going to help? Is this is this good? Is this what everyone does? I don't know. It's you hard know. to say no. I know. I used to work in b and I always said I should just go back there. quite liked b and I worked in the hardware department. <laughs> just saying. It's quite good fun. Easy life. <laughs> Apart from if anyone asked you about plumbing, and then I got really confused. <laughs> yeah. So, fast forward, I guess, to Dead Famous. When share what that show was about? Well, we looked for dead famous people in America. <laughs> so we go to America, myself and a psychic, and go all around America and do 
kind of like history research into different people, whether it's, you know, Elvis, Marilyn Monroe. And then in the night, we'd go back to somewhere that they may have frequented and then hang out from sort of midnight onwards to see if we can find any ghosties. <laughs> that was my job. <laughs> um, yeah. How did you put that on a CV? Well, basically... <laughs> Um, As you do. <laughs> my mum said that the reason I told her I had alopecia and she said, no, you don't. And I was like, all right, so why don't I have alopecia, mum? She went, you know what it is. And I was like, no, it is actually, it's an autoimmune deficiency, mum, I've got alopecia. She went, no, it's the ghosts. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently that's how you get alopecia. So yeah, it's the ghosts. Because it was on that show when your hair started to fall out. Yes, that's right? right. See, it's the ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> ghosts <laughs> have got it, they've taken it and put it in a jar. <laughs> And yeah. what happened when your hair started to fall out? And it happened quite quickly, didn't it? Uh, yeah, within four weeks. It was pretty... It was... Yeah, it was, it was not as dramatic. Yeah, it was dramatic. It's, it's difficult to think back on it because I was out in America working and my daughter was only two at the time. And I'd, I'd left my daughter at home. Mommy's gone away to work in America and she's with her dad. And Mommy's got loads of hair. And then it started falling out really quickly. And then by the end of the America stint... It was gone. There was nothing there. So I'm phoning home to her dad saying, you're going to have to warn honey that mommy's coming home with no hair at all. And he's like, don't be silly. That's ridiculous. And I was like, no, it's a thing. And um, so, yeah. So, um, yeah, I had to come home and, and uh, yeah, see honey. And luckily, she just opened the door and uh, she just went rock and roll. <laughs> and I was like, oh. that's amazing. And then when I took her to school and stuff, um, when she was getting older and everything, and people would say, oh, your mummy's got no hair. She was like, yeah, no, cool. And that was it. And then she's just always just been like that. So I'm very lucky. I love that. I yeah. love that. But what happened in the TV industry when you... Oh, when TV, you that wasn't quite the same. So TV, they were a bit kind of... Um, like, the, obviously, the press being really kind, they had sent cars to follow me and photograph me and what's wrong with Gail sort of headlines and what has happened and da-da-da. And, yeah, it was a little bit hard because they were outside the house and, you know, I've got a two-year-old and you just think, come on, there must be something more interesting. And Anyway, um, so then, then jobs kind of dried up a bit and everyone just wanted me to go on to daytime sort of telly to, or radio uh, to talk about what's it like to be bald and what's happened to me, but we've not got any money, but you're going to help other people if you just come on and do this. And I was like, are you joking? So the jobs were all dry, but dead famous. They stuck with me because I think we did another two series. Obviously it wasn't all back to back, but they stuck with me. They never gave up on me at any point. So that was really nice of them. Uh, but everybody else, you know, the main TV channels, it was come and do a chat on the news, come and do a chat on the morning news, come and do a chat on this, 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 this. Tell me what you know about it. It, was like, it just happened to me. I don't know. I've got no idea. So it was a bit tricky. But, yeah. And overall, it kind of dried up and the offers stopped coming yeah, in. Yeah, it just kind much. of stopped unless I wanted to do... I did a documentary about alopecia for BBC One, which loved doing, and it was great. And then other than that, it was kind of just... Yeah, not much unless you want to go and... I mean, do you remember when Will Smith went up and hit Chris Rock when Jada Pinkett had shaved her hair? My phone never stopped the next day. Like, I, I'm an expert on this shit. 
it's just like, well, hang on a minute. You know, I think she had a patch of LP. I don't know the, the whole story. Yeah. Why, why, why have I got something to say about it? And that really kind of like makes me a wee bit angry. Because you just think, just don't call me up every time someone's got a patch or someone's being this or someone's, yeah. If you want me to come in and talk productively about it, but don't just think I'm a person that you could just phone up and go, yeah, just do this and do that. Is Will Smith here? <laughs> yes, I am. <laughs> <Right>, mate. <laughs> um, is there anything you find particularly uncomfortable about the TV industry today? Um, yeah, there's lots of uncomfortable things about it. I still get asked to do the free stuff. The, can you come in? Can you? T I still get asked about the hair. Which is fine if you're doing something, as I say, really helpful. But you just think, come on, it's been 18 years. I'm sure we can talk about something else. Or talk about it in a different way. Um, and other than that, it's just boring. I don't know. <laughs> Does anyone actually watch something on TV? Remember like the days we were talking about Top of the Pop? I'm not just talking about it because I was on it. Mm. But I was only on it every now and then. But you used to love watching something. Is there anything that anybody likes watching? But it's like presenter-led or... It's not a, a soap or it's not someone having sex on an island with someone <laughs> who hasn't got their own face. <laughs> no, none of that. See nothing. True. Like even the big breakfast. I mean, we didn't even know what was going on. I still don't know what happened. <laughs> <laughs> but it was the best fun. And it was something. So now you've got news, 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 news. Or then you can watch, oh, police interceptors. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I really love it. They go, I think he's a very drunk man and he's in North London. I was like, oh, I might know him. So, <laughs> Look out the window. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I quite like that kind of thing. Or meet, marry, murder. But yeah, that's, no, I'm not going <laughs> to. Snap, women who kill. But that, no, nothing presenter led. Or it could be. But no, there's nothing fun. Nothing, no. you know. And all, a lot of the same TV presenters as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, it's always the same, isn't yeah. it? Okay, two presenters that work for ITV. Three, two, one. Holly. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you heard that, but someone just shouted Holly. There we go. That's only a wee bit. God, so true. I mentioned in the intro about your documentary. So tell oh, us yeah. about how you, you were approached to make that and tell us about that. Yeah, Turn Television up in Scotland, they contacted me about doing it. And obviously it was a bit of a, oh my gosh, do we really want to keep telling people that I'm nuts? Um, but they said we just want to do it in a really positive way and talk about what you went through and go through certain things and we spent I think six months filming it and there was a lot of tears there was a lot of tears and you know going back to see my mum's house and stuff there's a lot of me throwing my toys out the pram thinking I don't want to do this this is terrible this is I don't want to but they, they included me with the editing and all that stuff so they didn't do anything without my knowledge and I got to have a chat with my dad when he'd come back from Spain before he passed away and we were walking along the, the beach I said I'm really sorry if I ever disappointed you in any way dad and he went no the only person you disappoint is yourself and I was like no, your dad's laughing his head off there yeah. <laughs> parents are so helpful yeah and I was like oh right great thanks very much but um so yeah but um that was the last well one of the last times I saw my dad alive actually and I said to him we might win an award for this you know because it's like a lot of hard work's gone into it and it's loads of a great loads of great doctors and nurses and loads of people that helped make it all come to together 
and of course with the production team and everybody else. And my dad's went, nope, don't think so. Alright <laughs> All right, then, see you later. Enjoy Marbella. Love you. No. <laughs> and you won a BAFTA. And I won a BAFTA, yeah. Well, we all won a BAFTA. <laughs> we all won a BAFTA. Everybody won the BAFTA. So that was, yeah, no, that was quite... It was called being Gail Porter, though, so yeah, it was a lot was to like, do yeah. with you. So, yeah, I won a BAFTA. For, like, so my daughter said, Mum, did you just win a BAFTA for being mental? And I was like... <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, Yeah. <laughs> Good old honey. Uh, can I tell my pals? I was like, <laughs> yeah. But sharing your journey, it's going to help other people share their journey, right? And that's so important. Oh, gosh. I hope so. I mean, I, I said to you when we were out having lunch, I, I used to, like, just leave to go to wherever, the shops, and give myself enough time to go to the shops back. Now I give myself an extra hour just because the amount of people that will stop and oh, want to have a wee chat. Or just say, oh, you know, whether it's the hair, whether it's mental health, whether it's other things. Because, you know, I did a whole bunch of stupid stuff, whether it was overeating, undereating, self-harming. Just write a little book about that. <laughs> there was obviously something not quite right. Something wasn't quite wired right um, for a long time. So, but it's nice now. Well, yeah, I still have days of weirdness, but it's nice that people stop me and have a chat or even just say, do you want a hug? Can I have a hug? And I go, yeah, of course. So what do you think you've learned from getting uncomfortable? Because I remember hearing you say that you've always felt in a bit of discomfort. I think it's good for you. I think it's good to be uncomfortable. I think if you're not uncomfortable, then you don't want to make yourself any better. And also you, it's good to feel on edge a little bit just to, and it keeps you aware of your surroundings and it keeps you aware of, you know, situations and things that you've got to deal with. Because if you were super comfortable, you'd just be like, you know, you wouldn't be thinking, overthinking things. I think that's what makes me, uh, yeah, I think I'm going to be uncomfortable. Well, hopefully I'm quite comfortable on the day I die. Like, but, <laughs> but yeah, but kind of like chilled out somewhere. But um, yeah, it's, it's good. It's like imposter syndrome. It's good to have that going all the time. Yeah. It's yeah. good to feel not comfortable within yourself. I mean, not all like horrifically, but just that little bit of yeah. thinking, oh, is this okay? Is that okay? But not that it's going to overtake your entire world. Yeah. So what's next for Gail Porter? You've got your tour. What yes. else? Well, I'm going. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm doing a paranormal activity tour as well. <laughs> oh, I'm hanging out with the ghosties. So um, on October, October the fifth, there'll be Richmond Theatre. So I mean, it's two hours of it's just going to be nuts, really. I think. <laughs> But wonderful and spooky nuts. So, yeah, I'm going to be doing that. Then we take that on tour. And then I'm at the Queer Comedy Review. I'm doing there um, quite a few weeks, actually. I love going there. Great bunch of people. So I'll be doing that. And then I'll go on tour in January. Um, so I'll be doing Scotland in January, then the UK from February. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure getting uncomfortable with you, if it's OK to say yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the best you. thing I've heard in a long time. <laughs> I'm Gemma Greaves and Are You Sitting Uncomfortably is a Fresh Air production and the producers are the brilliant Izzy Clark and Clara Kavanagh. If you enjoyed this podcast, how couldn't you, then please do us a massive favour and follow us, recommend us and if you're feeling really kind, leave us a review. The bigger the following, the more opportunity that I have to have 
uncomfortable conversations with incredible guests like Gail. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Gail Porter, everybody. Thank you.